Todd writes, do you think Nelson Doubleday should be in the Met Hall of Fame? <laughs> well, he had to put up with the Wilpons for a long time. And he certainly went out and helped make the Mike Piazza trade. So I guess I, I don't really care one way or the other, but Nelson Doubleday, like it doesn't really do much for me. Greg Brunswick wrote a very long main email. If I mean, I mean, he just thought we were wrong about everything we said. But I want to give Greg the airtime, so I'm going to read his email, and then we can try to respond to it. Here's how he starts it, by the way. This is when you know he's about to kill you. Hey, guys, I'd like to know what drugs you're on. That's how it starts, right out of the gate. You're comparing Valentine to Terry Collins. How do you not realize the vast difference in quality and recognize the incredible run of 97 to 2000? Valentine always added wins to the team and presided over a major renaissance for the franchise. Terry Collins was a joke for the most part. He succumbed to his rosters. He never elevated them, not even close. That's part one. He's going to criticize a bunch of things. Um, First of all, I don't mean to just throw this on Pete. I disagreed with comparing Collins to Valentine. Bobby Valentine is on another level. That doesn't mean I wouldn't consider Collins for the Mets Hall of Fame down the road. He didn't manage the team to a pennant. But I do overall agree that I felt watching both teams and both managers that Bobby Valentine would steal wins, that he was that good of a manager. I never felt that way about Terry Collins. That doesn't mean I want to badmouth Terry and say he's an idiot and he's a schmuck and he should never be in the Met Hall of Fame. But if the idea is who is a better manager, to me it's easy. It was Bobby V. But I don't think we should look at Collins as a, quote, joke, as Greg suggests. Right. And and what I would debate you and go back to you on, and, and Greg, you know, I appreciate the criticism, but Terry Collins was handed crap rosters for majority of his tenure. The fact that they made a World Series in itself is outrageous. I know they had young, talented pitching staff. I know they had, you know, Daniel Murphy going off and Cespedes was amazing and stuff like that. But but Terry Collins is the face of that, was the manager of that team. You have to give him a little bit of credit. Remember, he had to deal with pulling Wilmer Flores off and dealing with that nonsense when he was quote-unquote traded. He had to deal with a lot of BS during that time. So I think he handled himself pretty freaking well and should be reward, and should be acknowledged for what he had to deal with. Uh, number two from Greg that he was pissed about, Johan Santana. What? With one great year and two other very good years, he's a Met Hall of Famer? Oh, my God, this is amateurish. Are you guys remotely serious? Santana's hardly even remembered as a Met. He's a footnote. Look, this comes down to the no-hitter, Greg. That's what it comes down to. Obviously, the fact that Johan Santana really only had three good years with the team is not what would put him in the Met Hall of Fame. What would put him in the Met Hall of Fame is that to me, maybe not to Greg, I don't know, that no-hitter is a top five moment in the history of the franchise over the last 30 years, wherever you want to rank it. So, look, you think it's a one-hitter or you don't think it's real, that's fine, we disagree. But I think Santana lives in Met history a lot stronger than you realize because of the no-hitter. But here's the last part. This this is where I'm going to lose my mind a little bit, so I'm going to try to stay calm. You continue to overrate DeGrom, and you underrate Syndergaard. In 2015, DeGrom choked in his one World Series start. Syndergaard won his on top of pitching brilliantly throughout the postseason. (sighs) Deep breath in. 
DeGrom bailed on the 2016 season, after which the Mets went on a run and made the playoffs on Syndergaard's shoulders. DeGrom would make a habit of bailing on seasons in which the Mets were good, 2016, 2021, 2022, while dominating in garbage time. The effing idea DeGrom would get his number retired is absurd. It's honestly ludicrous. Now, sir, your first two complaints had some validity to it. This third complaint is amateurish, to use your word. Number one, Jacob DeGrom is the reason the Mets got to a World Series, or at least one of the main reasons. He outpitched Clayton Kershaw in game one. You ignore that. He showed balls of stone in game five. You ignore that. He pitched great in his NLCS start. You ignored that. And in the World Series, yeah. And look, I can't deny that his fifth inning was a disaster. He pitched four no-hit innings to start his Game 2 World Series start and then maybe ran out of gas. I, I, I can't explain it. Or maybe he was just bad. Whatever the reason. He sucked, no doubt. But you, my friend, have taken all of Jacob deGrom's postseason starts and you've literally narrowed it down to one shitty inning. Now, is that fair? Now, you may have an agenda against him, and that's fine. I don't know. Maybe he didn't sign an autograph for you. I don't know. But that's ridiculous. That part's ridiculous. Number two, 100% on Syndergaard. The, he helped carry them to the wild card spot and did a hell of a job in the wild card game against the Giants. I got no issues with Syndergaard. You're right about what he did. To say DeGrom bailed, he needed surgery to end the 2016 season. He got hurt. He bailed. Bailed on 2021. All right. That's, you know, whatever. Uh, I That one, I guess you have more in your conspiracy than 16. And in 2022, how'd he bail? He pitched when it mattered. You want to criticize him for what happened in Oakland? Fine, he sucked. But he actually won the only playoff game they won. And was actually halfway decent in Atlanta while Max Scherzer crapped the bet. So, Greg, what are you talking about? All right? What are you talking about? With that said, I'd like to invite Greg on the podcast anytime if we want to further this debate. Because I would love to talk to you as a human about your stupid DeGrom opinions. All right? Thank you very much. Uh, Clayton Caldwell has a theory on Al Leiter. I loved Al. He was my favorite as a kid. Everything you said about him, I loved him. Then he went on the Yes broadcast, and a couple of times he took a bleep on the Mets. He and Michael K are good buddies. I know for a fact he cited his resume on how he knows their buddies. Who cares? But that's what bothered me. I know that K despises the Mets and loves to take shots, but he's a Yankee, and that's expected from him. But I recall at least once or twice Al doing the same things when times were bad. I just felt as someone who was self-proclaimed himself as a Met fan growing up, I thought he was above that. All right. That's a part of the reason why maybe he turned on Al Leiter. I guess. I I, I don't know. I, I, I think working for the Yankees sometimes annoys people. Uh, I don't know if they ever did that with Tom Seaver, though. I mean, Tom Seaver worked for the Yankees. James Sarvey writes, hey, Evan, you probably have some insider info or may have been there recently. Ooh, he thinks I have insider info. 
What's up with the City Field updates, especially this football-sized screen people were talking about so we can see Vogelbach's 150-foot ass in high definition? (laughs) All these leaked photos recently look nothing like the mock enormous screen we were told. Do you have any information? So, James, I don't have information, but I'll tell you this. And this is a part of my geekdom, I guess, a part of what makes me me. I don't want to see it. When I go and walk into City Field on opening day, I love to be surprised. I love to see things for the first time. So while I know there's a big screen coming, and I've seen the artist renderings of it, I try to avoid seeing the pictures of what it looks like right now as they're installing it. Because to me, a part of the fun of opening day is seeing something for the first time. Yeah, seeing the changes for the first time. So I apologize. No inside information. And I wanted to share that that kind of weirdness about me, that I don't want to see it before opening day. Brian Safchik writes, with Arnie Moreno not selling the Angels, what impact do you think that'll have on when and if Otani is traded? I guess the theory is, since Moreno is such a crappy owner, that it would only add to the idea that Otani would leave. So here's my concern about Otani. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more of these discussions in more detail as time goes by. If the Angels suck, I think they're going to trade him. Or at least I'd say it's about 60-40, 70-30 they trade him. Maybe not a guarantee, especially if they plan on trying to re-sign him. You know, then you don't trade him. I don't know how much I'm going to be willing to give up in August. I, I don't. And I guess we'll have a big debate on it. We'll see what Alvarez's impact is with the Mets this year, if any, what Pareda does in the minor leagues, what Ramirez does in the minor leagues, what Beatty does either at the majors or minors. I don't know. Like, I can give you an opinion on what I would trade today for Shohei Otani, knowing I've got him for a full season. It's different once you get to August. It is. It's different based on how the Mets are doing. It's different based on the year Otani's having. If you think trading for him gives you a better chance at signing him, it's a different story, but I don't think it does. And and I am concerned. I've I've always had confidence that the Mets are going to go heavy after him, and I stand by that. They will. I'm starting to think more and more that he doesn't want to come to the East Coast, and that's going to be something that hurts them. So do they have to outbid the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants by that much to get him? I don't know. And maybe the Mets will be willing to do it. CC Sabathia didn't want to come here, but the Yankees outbid him. So the Otani discussion is twofold. Number one, if the Angels fall out of it, what are we willing to give up for him at the deadline? Right now, I lean towards not much for a rental. I I don't know, man. And then during the offseason, it's going to come down to does the guy want to be here? Could I uh, ask a question about that, actually? Because I have a a tweet from Adam Ross13, whatever, on Twitter. Am I the only Mets fan not enthused with the idea of giving Otani $500-plus million? He brings up a really good question that I brought up off the air. His value comes from being an elite two-way player. How many years do you think this level play on both sides of the ball is sustainable for? And to be honest with you, too, which side, eventually, I think one side is going to just dissipate. He's going to probably be just either a hitter or a pitcher. It's such a complete unknown. I mean, we're dealing with something that has no history. So I could sit here and try to speculate, but it's just impossible. It's impossible to know because we've never seen a player do this. I I would lean towards if it's only one thing, it's hitting. It's, hey, go get 500 at-bats a season as a designated hitter, more so than pitching 
there's more risk to arm injuries pitching. So if I had to guess, I would say that's the case. But I think with this owner, you can't freak out about the money. You just have to say they are taking a, a gem that we've never seen before who could potentially be like having Max Scherzer and Carlos Correa. You know what I mean? I only use those two guys as an example because they almost had Correa and Scherzer from last year. But that's what he is. He's a bat, but he's also a dominant pitcher. You're signing two for the price of one, which is why, in theory, $50 million a year is a steal. It is. Is Shohei Otani as an offensive player worth more than $25 million a year? Probably. Is Shohei Otani as a pitcher worth more than $25 million a year? Yeah. Probably. So you get him for 50, it's a steal. But I think with this owner, we can't freak out about how much money it is. And you have to realize, yeah, you're signing something we've never seen before, this comet flying through the air. There's a risk that you're only getting the two-way guy for two of the years of his contract or the three of years of his contract. And if that's what it is, then at the end of his contract, you've just got a really high-priced, awesome hitter. And you hope he can still hit at a high level, obviously. That'd be my thought on that. Um, Keith King. In the past, the Mets have been pretty split on Brandon Nemo. Do you think the new eight-year deal and what seemed like his desire to stay with the team will change fans' perception of him? Is Nemo on the path to being inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame? Or dare I say, having number nine retired? Or will fans criticize him and call him overrated? I think that the longer someone's here, the more the love extends. Now, I think most Met fans like Brandon Nemo. I mean, there are going to be some Met fans who say he's overrated. He doesn't hit for a high average. He doesn't steal enough bases. There's always going to be criticisms of him. Watching him every day, he's an incredibly valuable player. No question. And so I like Brandon Nemo. And yeah, the fact that he has a chance to spend 15 years here is awesome. I think the retired number thing is weird because the Mets have changed the bar for it. And that's not me knocking the the Kuzman and Keith Hernandez decisions, but they have, you know, for a while, the bar was literally Tom Seaver. That was the bar and Mike Piazza eventually. And now they've opened it up a little bit more. So I think Nimmo's love will only grow, but here's the key. Here's what puts it over the top championship. You win a world series here. Your legacy just goes way up. I think that's the bottom line. Ed Flood writes, who do you think the Mets player has the best and most under-the-radar season this year? So someone who's like under-the-radar. So saying Pete Alonso is not a great answer. Somebody we're not even thinking about who's going to have a great year for this team. Darren Ruff. (laughs) That would qualify. I'm going to go with, I think Jose Quintana will be their most consistent starting pitcher. And I don't know if that's, maybe you guys won't accept that answer saying, come on, they just gave him 13 million a year. I think Quintana, I loved what I saw from him in the second half last year with St. Louis. He was so good. And sometimes that moves to another year. Like you almost build off of that. So between the age questions of Verlander and Scherzer, between the adjustment of Kodai Senga, I could see him having a big year. And who knows about Carrasco? I think at the end of the day, and we said this about Bassett, right? At the end of 2022, if I would have said to you, who was the Mets' most important starting pitcher? Who was their most consistent? You would have said Chris Bassett, right, Pete? No question. 
I think when I ask you that question at the end of 2023, the answer is going to be Jose Quintana. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing because people may hear that and say, oh, that's a disaster. No, I think he could have a great year. And if Verlander and Scherzer both miss, you know, a little bit of time on the IL, but nothing crazy, nothing like Scherzer last year or DeGrom last year, and Quintana makes 32 starts and those two guys make 25 starts, uh, I don't think that's a crazy answer. So that would be my answer, that it's him, Jose Quintana. I, I would, if I could put in, I think that's going to go at Water Escobar because I just think that last year was so bad, but the last month was so good. I think that's more of – I don't think he could achieve that the entire season, but I think we could see a bit more of that. And if he gets enough playing time, which I think he should, I think he's the guy that you'd be like, wow, we we that huge role for us down the line. I'm writing this down. I want to see how accurate our predictions are. You say Escobar. I say Quintana. We're going to have an episode in a couple of weeks where we give like real predictions for all the like stats – wins let's go and we got to hold ourselves accountable man you know we got to write this crap down so that when you listen to the end of the season rico we can grade ourselves i always do that every year on twitter where i i put my predictions out like we all do most people do that on twitter and then at the end of the season i repost it and say how'd i do and most of the time it's not bragging you know it's not oh look at me look how smart i am it's more could you believe this guy had the white Sox winning the american league pennant the hell's wrong with him? 